Well, good morning. It is good to see you. We are in week three, the last week of our sermon series called Flourish. Um, not fluish. That's how you feel after the vaccine. Um, come on. We're just going to start off with a dad joke right up in here. Uh, flourish. Uh, which is the series that was leading us up to Easter Sunday, which I cannot believe is next Sunday, right? I don't know if it's because we've been in a cave for the last 12 months or if just because it's an early Easter this year, uh, but I can't believe next Sunday is Easter Sunday morning. This Friday is Good Friday, uh, not next Friday. Uh, this Friday is, is Good Friday, and so we're hoping to see you here at 7 o'clock. We've put a lot of work into uh, a Good Friday communion service. It will be brief, and I believe... It will be powerful, and we'd love to see you here for that. Um, and then next Sunday morning, Easter Sunday morning, for all of our folks who call Temple our church home, I'd encourage you get here early next Sunday morning. We're, we're going to have everything up and going. The donuts will be ready by 10. The coffee will be hot and ready by 10. The Easter bunny will be in the photo booth. I know we're, we're heathens. Um, it'll be ready for you to get your pictures by 10. You can go ahead and get your kids checked in so that everything can be available for our guests when they arrive. We hope we'll have guests next year uh who really i mean next week i mean uh who knows with what this year has been if we will it might be next year before uh we don't know but we want to be ready and so we encourage you uh, to come a little bit early and then come in here and do something crazy uh scoot to the middle of a row and leave the end open for a guest i know that's like cussing in church but man if you can do that that would be awesome because uh, we're excited about next week. This Sunday uh, is Palm Sunday, the, the Sunday where we celebrate Jesus' uh, entrance into Jerusalem, his triumphal entrance as uh, the people were laying their garments on the road and waving palm branches and, and Jesus is headed towards the cross. And as Jesus' entry is what we celebrate today, ironically, um, we're celebrating someone's departure today. Uh, the Samuelsons, this will be their last Sunday with us. Uh, Rick retired uh, a few months ago, and I don't know why they are moving to Lubbock, but it has something to do with the grandkids that they won't stop talking about. Um, and so we're excited for them. Rick has served as a deacon. Patty has served in ministry here for years. And so uh, if you've had a, a hot cup of coffee in the last several months here, uh, it's because Rick got here before you were probably out of bed on Sunday morning and got that going for us. And so um, we don't always recognize when, when somebody is moving away, uh, but they have served and invested enough here uh, that we felt it was worth honoring them this morning and say, we love you. Thank you for how you've loved us, and uh, we wish you well as you're heading to spoil those grandbabies. So would you help me say thank you to them? Jesus did not ride into Jerusalem so that we could have Palm Sunday. So that we uh, could even gather in this room in this nice air conditioning and whatever. No, man, he, he was on mission to destroy, to crush the head of the deceiver as was prophesied in the garden so that he could make a way to restore flourishing for you and for me. 
So with that hope, I invite you to grab your Bible or your tablet or whatever you use uh, to follow along in the scriptures this morning. If you're a guest today, uh, we have a tradition here that we hold our Bibles up and say a creed together so we remember what it is we're talking about. Uh, it has a prayer that prepares our hearts. And so if that's where you are in your spiritual journey, then we invite you to join with us in that tradition this morning as we hold our Bibles up and as we declare this together. Here we go. The Bible is the word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. Thank you so much. Please turn to Psalm 32. Psalm 32. As we're going to jump into this psalm this morning, uh, on our third week here flourishing, we, we began in the garden uh, with this this picture of what it looks like to flourish as we looked at the care of our souls that were designed and created by God to flourish, and that's been uh, broken and corrupted because we're not perfect anymore, and uh, that God's on mission to restore the, the hope of flourishing, um, that, that relationship that was broken by God. We talked about the, a prayer of restoration in that this week. And we're going to conclude here looking at this psalm. It's only 11 verses. We're, we're going to work through each uh, of those verses together. Really, it's parts of a sonnet, if you will. And so we'll, we'll go in little chunks actually together through this psalm. But I want to make this statement before we begin Kind of to, to circle back to our first week, in case you weren't here. As we looked at the Garden of Eden, and at this beautiful, glorious connection with God, this, this glorious human experience, here's what I think needs to be said this morning. We experience flourishing, as humankind, in perfection. And for all the perfect people in the room this morning, that's really good news. And for all the rest of us, we sure hope there's more to the sentence. Right? Yep. Anybody who was like, well, good news for me, your spouse just went, "Mm, not so fast. (laughs) Right? This morning, uh, my nephew's collar was messed up on his jacket. I fixed it for him, said, there you go, dude. Now you're perfect. And he said, who's to say I wasn't already perfect? And I said, you need the sermon this morning. <laughs> the, the idea is we weren't designed for brokenness. The creator did not create us for fallenness. And so to flourish as a, as a, as a human being who bears the image of a holy God, we can only flourish in perfection. Here's the problem. We aren't. So is it possible that there's another option for human flourishing? Let's read verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 32. The first word is blessed, which is the the Hebrew picture of the deepest form of happiness, of, of joy. This would be the effect of flourishing, if we can say that here. That that true, deep abiding, not circumstantial surface, deep abiding happiness, blessedness is experienced by the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no 
iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. This collection of verses beautifully acknowledges the fact that we aren't perfect. (laughs) And that true flourishing and true happiness is not found. This is one of those verses that it's as important as uh, what it does not say as what it does say. Because it does not say happy, blessed, thriving is the one who has no transgressions. Thank God that verse doesn't say that. (laughs) It doesn't say that that thriving and blessed is the one who has no sin. That needs to be covered. And it does not say that, 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 that we don't have any iniquity that God could possibly count against us. And it's being so honest, it's using three different words to say the same thing. These are three different Hebrew words that explain the idea of we ain't perfect. <laughs> and, and David here in this psalm is like covering his bases with. <laughs> and as a matter of fact, the word iniquity here in verse number two is the worst word that's used in the Hebrew language for sin. He's saying God doesn't count against us our worst day. Whew. Thank you, Jesus. And and the thing about this sin, right, is is there's consequences for sin. There's a result of our sin. Our lack of perfection isn't just a thing. It's a thing with consequence. Uh, Romans chapter 6 says that the wages of sin is, is death, the opposite of flourishing. There's There's always consequences for this sin. And what this psalm is saying is we experience flourishing in perfection, Right? That, that's the first one. Go to this next slide here, Garrett. The, the thing about perfection is we've all blown it. We've all fallen short. Jesus is the only one who has been perfect. So it's not perfection. We experience uh, flourishing not in perfection. We experience flourishing in forgiveness. Like those are our options this morning. Perfection or forgiveness. And I don't want to tell you this, but the only one of those is our option. <laughs> Right? That, that ship sailed a long time ago, like in the Garden of Eden. We flourish in either perfection or forgiveness. Somebody, I, I told you there's consequences for sin, and here's the truth of the gospel this morning. Somebody has to pay for sin. The glorious truth of the gospel is it doesn't have to be the sinner. Because God the Father chose to pour out the payment, the wrath, the penalty for sin on his own son so that we could receive forgiveness. Amen. Hallelujah. That's good news. That's happy. (laughs) Happy is the man whose sin is covered, whose transgressions are forgiven. Jesus rode into Jerusalem on what we call Palm Sunday, hearing them sing songs about blessing him. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But Jesus heard those songs of blessing with his face set towards the cross, knowing blessed is he who comes behind me and flows in the wake of my forgiving grace. He was moving towards a cross so that he could bless all those who would respond to him in faith. We flourish only through forgiveness. And here's the thing about 
that idea of perfection. I'm, I'm so in need of forgiveness that even my innocence is tainted by guilt. Does that make sense? The prophet Isaiah said, even my righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Even my innocence is tainted by guilt. I've been thinking a lot lately about the first ticket I ever got. Jacksonville, Florida, our, our hometown. Uh, there's this one particular intersection um, that I drove through all the time. There's a, a cemetery on your left. There's a little 7-Eleven on your right. And there's a turn lane, the green arrow. And I was coming to that turn lane. I was in college, beginning of college. The light turned yellow, but I was already kind of committed. I knew I had to go. And so I drove through the intersection, looked up, saw that I was good. Got pulled over. And instantly, I'm like, I didn't run that red light. And I'm just here to tell you, 25 years later, I didn't run that red light. That officer walked up to the car and I'm like, he must have seen me on the block before when I was speeding. And then I thought of the irony of how offended I was at my innocence, assuming he saw my previous guilt. Even my innocence is tainted by guilt, right? How many of you, your parents ever beat you for something you didn't do and they're like, well, you did something, <laughs> right? So here's the irony. So just, just part of, of preaching every week is I think about my sermon all week long subconsciously. I don't even necessarily know that I'm doing it. I was driving down the road this week thinking about this illustration, this idea of even my innocence is tainted by guilt. And I'm thinking, well, that makes sense to these people that I care about as I say this. And I'm thinking about that unjust ticket that I got, not a warning that I'm still bitter about. But this sermon's not about forgiveness. So, um, <laughs> I was thinking about that, and a thought crossed my mind as I'm thinking about telling you this illustration. I wonder how fast I'm driving right now. And as I'm thinking about how my innocence is tainted by guilt, I look down, and I'm going 55 on Randall Mill. Allegedly. Just in case there's anybody, uh, any Fort Worth PD who are watching this live stream right now, I, I'm, I made this up. Pastorally speaking, I might have been going 55 and a 30. Because even my innocence is tainted by guilt. Does that make sense? And so my only hope of thriving is that there's mercy, that there's grace, and that there's forgiveness. And if I don't walk in forgiveness, I won't be flourishing. I'll be floundering. And there's so many people... This morning who would say, I don't feel like I'm flourishing. I feel like I'm floundering. And I just wonder what needs a dose of grace this morning. What area of our life needs some forgiveness? So here's the sentence that I'd encourage you to write down this morning. And that is, we move from floundering to flourishing through forgiveness. The, the path to move from floundering to flourishing is forgiveness. And so I feel like the, the weight of the question that rests on this text this morning is this. What do I got to do to get me some forgiveness? <laughs> like, what, what's the religious list of things I got to do? Who's the priest I've got to pay off? Like, what do I have to do 
to get me some of that there forgiveness. If that's the only hope, if that's the path to get from floundering to flourishing is forgiveness, how do I get some forgiveness? Verses 3 and 4. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah, which means hold the phone. It means let's talk about this for a minute. Let's think about it. Let's marinate in that. Don't rush off. When I kept silent... Did anybody else notice that? Did the lights just go off or did I just, I had a, I had a bad idea. <laughs> um, and, and they're not turning back on. They're trying. There we go. Hi, everybody. Welcome to temple. If you're at home and you don't know what just happened, that's why we would love to have you back. Um, yeah. uh, um, what are we talking about? Mm, yes, which means sit in a dark place and contemplate what the text just said. Um, it's an experiential word. I'm just kidding. I, so, I'm not that. so if the path from floundering to flourishing is forgiveness, how do we get it? According to these verses, it's not through silence. We don't find forgiveness through pretending like we're better than we are. We don't find forgiveness through ignoring what we do wrong. Maybe it'll just go away. Maybe God will forget. It's not through minimizing. Well, it wasn't that bad. I'm not that bad. That thing wasn't that bad. Maybe God's not that upset about it. It's not that big a deal. No, we do not find forgiveness in hiding. Remember the first thing Adam and Eve did when they sinned against God? They hid. And and I said two weeks ago, our souls have longed to come out of hiding ever since. We don't find forgiveness in hiding. This idea of of David saying, my my bones wasted away. There was groaning. There was this weakness. The question here is, is he talking about an actual physical phenomenon Or is he just being poetic? Because this is indeed poetry. And the answer is, I think yes. (laughs) Could be either. I believe absolutely there can at times be a physical effect of our disconnection with God. Like deep in our being. But I think most of what he's talking about here is he's referring to this ache in his bones. I really think he means his soul. Like what he's saying is this, this thing, when I kept silent, when I pretended like there wasn't a problem, I felt like I was dying on the inside. Our souls long to come out of hiding and be truthful. In those first two verses, we said that, that the blessed life is not where there's no sin, but it is where there's no deceit. We're not lying to ourselves or anybody else about our need for grace. And sometimes we're not honest about our sin because we have such a low view of ourselves that we're like, man, I feel like such a failure. I can't admit one more wrong thing. Or maybe it's because we have such a high view of ourselves that we're like, me and God are like barely on the off, not on the same page. Like I'm, I'm just one step down from him because I'm awesome. Right. Like, and what's the solution to a too low view of self or a too high view of self? It's the same. And that is a high view of God. Because when I see him for who he really is, I can't help but say, I'm not there. And if I have any hope of being restored to him, it's got to be up to him. 
not in lying to ourselves. St. Augustine said the, the beginning of knowledge is to know yourself to be a sinner. The beginning of knowledge is to know yourself to be a sinner. For almost 1,600 years, the followers of Jesus have called this guy a saint. And he said, listen, the beginning of knowledge. One of the greatest minds, I think, to ever follow after Jesus. One pastor said this. He said, we know him as a saint, but he knew himself as a sinner. And of all the incredible works that St. Augustine wrote, what we read is that his favorite psalm was this psalm because he experienced something in the grace of God that changed his life. Not in his goodness, but in the forgiveness that he experienced in the grace of God. It was the only way that he could be happy. Clap along if you feel Like a room without a roof, as another poet once said. (laughs) How many of you are right now going, make me happy? I hate Doug. Okay, right? Now it's in your head. You're welcome. Thanks for coming. So eight years ago, the song Happy by Pharrell Williams uh, became a number one song. It was the only soundtrack released from a movie, a cartoon movie. Pharrell Williams was interviewed right as that song was topping the charts. And they're like, so where did the inspiration come for this song? He said, I was contacted by the producers who asked me to write a song that gave hope, quoting here, that happiness can be experienced by even the most evil. Because the whole point of that movie is that the, the villain can grow a soul and experience, experience happiness. And what I love about that movie, it's the second one in the franchise, is it's called Despicable Me. Not Despicable You. Not Despicable Them. Despicable Me. And I believe that we're on the path towards flourishing when we can go, God, when I look at your character, your nature, your holiness, your goodness... I've done some really despicable things, and it's time to stop playing games. It's time to stop hiding. It's stop, uh, time to stop pretending that it's, it's okay. And let me say this really quick. We got a long way to go. I got to hurry up. So this, this idea of the heavy hand of God upon me, let me just say this really quick. You know, the word glory in the Hebrew is the word weight. I've talked about that before. And isn't it just like God that we would stand before his glorious perfection and feel the weight of his hand and that that would be the same hand that would lift us up out of our brokenness and restore us in grace. Oh. So back to our question. If the path from floundering to flourishing is forgiveness and we don't get there through silence or pretending, how do we get there? Verse 5. Verse 5, he says, I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave. There's not a snap in that verse, but there could be. I confessed, and you forgave. Hallelujah. You forgave the iniquity of my sin. There's that word iniquity again. 
I confessed, and you offered grace towards the worst thing I've ever thought, said, done, or felt. Hallelujah. The path from floundering to flourishing is forgiveness, and forgiveness is found in confession. When we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, but not to leave us in it, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's faithful to forgive, faithful and just. How can you be just and forgive? It is not justice to forgive wrongdoing. Justice demands payment. He's just because he already poured his wrath out on his son. He's faithful and just to forgive us when we confess. The answer to forgiveness, to flourishing, is confession. Here's what confession means. The word in the Hebrew literally means saying the same thing. It's saying, God, you know what you're talking about. God, you're right and I'm wrong. You said this was wrong and I did it and that was wrong. You said this was right and I didn't do it and that was wrong. I'm saying what you're saying. It is, I've used this phrase a lot before, those of you who've been around. Confession is agreeing with God. Not debating, not minimizing, not arguing. Yep, you're right. It's agreeing with God. Confession is agreement. And apology, the the movie Love Story has this famous line that, that many of you probably know. Love means never having to say, you're sorry, bull snot. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. No offense if, you, if somebody's wearing a t-shirt that says that today, I'm going to feel really bad. Love means never having to say you're sorry. Yeah, if you're Jesus. But if I love you and you're stuck doing life with somebody as busted up as me, love means saying I'm sorry quickly and meaning it. (laughs) Six. Lenny. (laughs) Let's leave that number up a little bit. (laughs) He said six times a day. She meant 60. Okay, so. Love means quickly saying that we're sorry as long as we're imperfect. There's this research that, that people are like, oh, this is groundbreaking research. Um, a researcher named Tyler uh, Okimoto, and I'm quoting here. Not, this isn't a sermon illustration. This is true. When, like, the, like the speeding one. That was just a sermon illustration if you're watching uh, Officer. Um, he said this, when you refuse to apologize, it actually makes you feel more empowered. That power and control seems to translate into greater feelings of self-worth. People who refuse to apologize end up with boosted feelings of integrity. Of course they do. They didn't admit they did wrong. There's a name for that boosted feeling of integrity. It's called (laughs) self-delusion. We feel better about ourselves if we lie to ourselves. And that's not what I believe the God who is truth says. The path to happiness is in truthfulness. It's in honesty. It is in confession. Twice this week, I heard stories of people who didn't know what I was preaching this week who told me stories of how confession changed their life. 
One was a story of confession towards God. One was a story of confession towards people. The the story of confession towards God, somebody told me about the lowest point of his entire life was a time when he just wasn't willing to agree with God about what was in his life. He said, I was at the lowest point I've ever been, and I was sitting in my car in a parking lot, and I finally said, okay, God, this is wrong. Please deliver me. And he said, in an instant, that weight on me was instantly lifted when I confessed my sin to God. The story of a person is actually a student in our school who wronged another student. The teacher said, hey, it's appropriate that you would apologize to the person that you wronged. And he said, I don't want to. And the teacher said, okay, I want you to mean it. So let's give it a couple of days. The student waited three days before apologizing. But this is what the teacher told me. The teacher said that was a couple of years ago and that student's been a completely different human being. Since they confessed in a minute. It's almost like the path from floundering to flourishing is forgiveness through confession. Quickly, verse number six and seven. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they'll not reach him. I love the fact that the word godly is used here in the context of this prayer. Which means godly isn't a person who doesn't need to confess anything. Right? I love that real definition of godly. Godly doesn't mean got it together. Godly means quick confessors. (laughs) I love that. Verse number seven, you're a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Hit pause. Selah. I'm only going to say this, and we got to move along quickly. I'm, I'm running out of time here. This idea of him being our hiding place, listen to this. This is a picture of grace. You ready? How amazing is it that the God we were hiding from, when we confess our sin, becomes our hiding place? <laughs> like only a glorious, gracious God can do that. How incredible is that? That's what's available when we aren't silent when we don't pretend. Verse number 8 and 9, now God is going to speak to us. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go, counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle or won't stay near you. Don't be a dumb mule when it comes to confession. That's just God speaking here. I didn't say that. Right? Don't be a dumb donkey. Trust me. When we confess, his goal is to instruct us and lead us in a new way. This is what those shouts of deliverance are about. When we confess our sin, he doesn't leave us in our sin. He leads us into a new direction, which is the idea of repentance. Confession isn't, sorry, God, my bad. Let's go do that again. Repentance is a turning of direction. It's God, I confess, I agree with you. I confess this was sin. I need your forgiveness and I need the same grace to lead me and instruct me in a new path. And that's the journey for the Christian life until the day we finally are fully conformed to the image of Jesus in the next life. In the meantime, this is what the journey looks like. Frequent confession and repentance. David 
scholars believe penned this psalm at the same time as another psalm. Psalm 51. Psalm of confession after he is outed for his sin of not being where he was supposed to be, of letting lust take over his heart, then of committing adultery with Bathsheba, possibly forcing her to do so, sending her away in shame, then scheming to cover up his sin by organizing the assassination of his beloved friend, her husband. This orchestrated sinful secrecy is finally exposed. David finally agrees with God and confesses his sin, still experiences consequences. But in the confession of Psalm 51, he says just one thing I want to point out quickly. Verses 12 and 13 of Psalm 51, David cries out, please restore to me the joy of your salvation. And then he says this, God, if you'll do that, then I will teach transgressors your ways and they will return to you from their sin. David says, God, if you'll offer me forgiveness, I'll encourage other people to seek after you too and to turn from their sin. And that's what Psalm 32 is. Psalm 32 is David's fulfillment of that vow. He's instructing us today. It's worth it. Turn to Jesus. Return to him in confession. And the incredible thing about David's sin. After David dies, his son Solomon becomes king. After Solomon dies, David's grandson Rehoboam was supposed to have been king. Jeroboam throws a monkey wrench into all of that. And this is what is spoken over Jeroboam. You did not do like David. He only did what was right. Huh? Excuse me, Bible. Have you read yourself? Is that one right? Right? No matter where your bar is of right and wrong, which is a moving scale in the U.S. nowadays, but I'm pretty sure murder's still wrong. What do you mean? He, what he did was right. How is that possible? Long before David's sin with Bathsheba, in 1 Samuel chapter 13, he's referred to as a man after God's own heart. Hundreds of years later, after his sin with Bathsheba, in Acts chapter 13, he's referred to the exact same way. A man after God's own heart. How is that possible? Because the heart of God is a heart of forgiveness and restoration. And that's where David eventually turned and confessed his sin. Because the Bible is not a collection of stories about sinless people. It's a collection of stories about broken people who experience the saving grace of God. David saw that God's heart is a heart of grace and he was after grace. He was after God's heart. Verses 10 and 11. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. But steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Don't be stuck in sorrow when gladness is available through confession and forgiveness and restoration. I, I want to point to just one thing in these two verses, and that is this idea of this, the love of God surrounding those who trust in him, this is all about faith. If I trust the heart of God, then I can be vulnerable enough to be honest about my brokenness. 
Does that make sense? You with me? If I trust the heart of God, I can be vulnerable and honest about my sin. We will only confess. We will only apologize quickly and easily if we, if we are convinced that we can trust in the good heart of God. That there's forgiveness and freedom and joy on the other side. I heard Matt Chandler once say, you can tell me that you believe the gospel, but the way I really know is by seeing what direction you run when you sin. If when I sin, I run from God in, in shame and embarrassment and, and brokenness, I don't really believe the gospel. But if when I sin, I run towards the cross, I run towards the open, merciful arms of a loving father, that's faith in the gospel. What direction do we run when we sin? It's towards his goodness. Paul told the church at Rome, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And so this week's prayer, just like last week's prayer, is not primarily about getting God to align with our heart's desires, but it is about getting our hearts to align with his desires. God, would you redirect my heart towards you? That's what this prayer of confession is. God, I want to trust your grace and I want to trust your forgiveness. And so I'm not going to play games. I'm going to ask you to give me five more minutes here. Okay, we're, we're, we're mostly done with the text, but I, I want to speak real practically for just a minute. Okay. Can you give me five more minutes? We together? We good? This Palm Sunday? All right. Nobody's looking for eggs afterwards, so just be patient with me. This psalm is about confession to God. But we have the benefit of understanding another side of confession. The little brother of Jesus, James, tells us that we're to confess to one another as well. That we confess our sins to one another and pray for one another so that we may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. That's, that's when we're honest with one another. And here's what I would say. Okay. And some of you couples that have sat in my office, you've heard me say all this before, so you can zone back out. But if the rest of you hang in here with me, we're not good confessors. We're not good apologizers. And we're not good forgivers naturally. Like we tend to not do a very good job at that. When we've wronged someone, so I want to talk primarily, how, so how do I confess to a person? And then we'll end with the heart of this text. We'll end by talking, how do I confess to God? The way we confess to a person, I love what Andy Stanley said. He said, we need to confess in complete sentences. So confession is not saying, sorry, my bad. That's not confession. So what I'm going to give you right now is as simple as you can be, and yet nobody does this. Here's what it is. I'm sorry I fill in the blank. Specifically. Blank should be longer. That's just about as big as we can fit on the artwork. So being sorry is important. I think it's good to say you're sorry. Literally, to say, I have sorrow that I've wronged you in this way. So say that. I'm sorry that I spoke to you that way. I'm sorry that I ran that red light that I didn't run. No. Owning it. Not defending. I'm sorry I reacted badly to you, but you started it. Right? 
I'm sorry I did that, but I tell couples all the time, but is an eraser. If it's, I'm sorry, I, whatever, comma, but, we just erased everything in front of the but. All we're saying is, you started it, here's my excuse. No, I'm sorry that I hurt your feelings by doing whatever. And then to say these crazy words that nobody says, will you forgive me? The reason a lot of things remain unresolved in our relationships with one another is we haven't simply said, will you forgive me? And then that other person has an incredible opportunity. They can either say, yes, I forgive you. Or they can say, no, I choose to harbor resentment and uh, evil, satanic bitterness in my heart and suffer the negative, terrible consequences of it, like ulcers and separation from God. Thank you for asking. They can say, I forgive you, but I don't like you. I can forgive you, but I'm so upset. (laughs) They can say, I I forgive you, but don't touch me. (laughs) Will you forgive me? It gives them a chance to respond to that. Because we say the worst things when somebody apologizes. They say, I'm so sorry I wronged you. And we say, it's fine. It wouldn't need confession, repentance, and grace if it was fine. No worries. No, clearly I'm worried. That's why I apologize. Will you forgive me? Does that make sense? It's so simple and no one does this. And that's why things remain unresolved. Apologize in complete sentences. Now here's what that looks like with God. And this is pretty awesome. God, I'm sorry, I. starts off the same way, that we agree with God. I told you it's... It's agreement and apology, right? God, I am sorrowful that I sinned against you. You're right and I'm wrong. Here's the incredible thing. We're not so much asking forgiveness as asking for the insight that forgiveness has already been granted in our confession. And so we say, God, I was wrong. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for forgiveness, full and free. No strings attached. No bartering, no shame. But an apology with God can't stop there if it's biblical. It has to involve in God, lead me into a new way of living. Set me free from this. Deliver me from evil. God, lead me into a new direction. That's the heart of repentance. Confession that does not have a a heart of repentance is not biblical confession. And I think maybe for somebody today, you feel like life is floundering because there's just something you're holding on to. And all I know how to tell you this morning is happy is the one whose sins are forgiven. Not who has none. I'm sure Jesus was really happy. But for all the rest of us, happiness is found in forgiveness. That begins first and foremost by big picture forgiveness that says, God, I've been separated from you. In relationship with you. You're holy and perfect, and I'm not. It's a prayer of confession that says, God, I believe you died on the cross because of what I've done. I believe you rose again, and I'm asking you to save me in my sin and restore me in relationship to you. That's the beginning of a relationship with God. And I just wonder if there's not somebody in this room or who's watching right now who needs to pray that first prayer of confession towards salvation. 
And the incredible thing is, in just a moment, we're going to give you an opportunity to do that. As we're singing the final song, there will, will be some men and women in the prayer room in the back. I'll be down front. Lance will be with me. If you're online, there's a link that says, can we talk? You can begin a conversation that says, hey, give me some help to walk towards a prayer of confession so that I can experience salvation. Maybe you'd say, man, I did that years ago, but I still feel like I'm floundering because there's this thing in my life I've not been willing to let go. And I'm just, I'm just here to challenge you this morning. Take God at his word. Trust him enough to believe if I will confess this and lay it down, that's where I will flourish. That's where I will find hope and joy and peace if I'll lay this down.